A few years ago, I took an enormous trip through Nevada. It was more than a thousand miles over five days with 50 different stops. And along the way, we knew that there was one place we had to visit, a motel in the middle of the Nevada desert on the edge of an old frontier town between Reno and Las Vegas. It was a little bit of a rough and tumble place. It had a pretty dusty vibe, but it only cost about 30 bucks a night to stay there. The main clientele were truckers and bikers, and it sits right at the edge of the desert, right before there's just kind of nothing. Picture sort of the Bates Motel. Low slung, doors open directly to the parking lot. And the first thing you see when you step outside your room, other than the highway, is the abandoned minor cemetery right next door. And there's one more thing about this motel, and it was the reason that I knew I had to stay there. It's a clown motel. Clowns in the lobby, clowns in the rooms, clowns watching your every move. I'm Don Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange and wondrous places. Today, we visit Tonopah, Nevada, and we stay at the Clown Motel. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. The old Tonopah Cemetery is just about the last stop in town. It's a dry, pretty bare-bones place. No grass, no trees in sight. The people buried here died of grim frontier town causes. People got shot. They died of tuberculosis, a strange disease swept through town known as the Tonopah Plague. Some of the headstones just say, baby. And of course, there are the mining accidents. One of those people was Clarence David. Clarence was a miner, a miner who had a deep, abiding love of clowns. Over his lifetime, he amassed a collection of 150 clown statuettes and figurines. But he died in a mine fire in 1942, and he was buried in the Tonopah Cemetery. Clarence's kids, Leroy and Leona, lived in the area and were in the motel business. And 40 years after he died, they still had their dad's old clown collection. They decided to honor his memory by opening a motel, a motel right next to the cemetery where he was buried, featuring his clown collection. They arranged all 150 figurines in the lobby. And then and there, the clown motel was born. I never, never was saying I hated clowns. I, I didn't exactly love them, but I'm, I'm, I think in a way I did after, after the years of putting in there, 23 years, I, I, they became part of me. Bob Perchetti was born and raised in Tonopah. 
He loves his hometown. We got his number from the local Chamber of Commerce. He's got a personalized license plate on his truck that says Tonopah. Yeah, I do. I'm on the truck I'm driving right now. And he took over the Clown Motel from Leroy and Leona because they were old friends. He ended up running the place for nearly a quarter of a century. Bob, well, he kind of became the clown guy. He tripled the number of clowns in the place. Some he picked up at yard and estate sales, and others were gifts. A lot of clowns that I had on my shelf came from Europe. I had one couple, and they would pay for their rooms with it, and they'd bring me like 10 clowns a year. I mean, really beautiful clowns that they found on their travels. And I would give them a free room for that. I remember walking into the lobby of the Clown Motel for the first time, and it truly is floor-to-ceiling clowns. Shelves of clown figurines and statuettes lining the wall. In the corner, there's a life-size clown in a rocking chair cradling two baby clowns. There are certainly enough clowns to give the average person nightmares. Well, that happened quite a bit. Supposedly, things that happened in some of the rooms, I have a, I had a great big clown in the, in the office, and uh, I had a painting so it looked like Ronald McDonald. And uh, this guy woke up, and he said that, that that statue was standing in front of his bed. And he, he, I says, what happened? He says, I, I, I tried to brush the sleep out of my eyes. And he says that big clown was standing there, and he raised his right arm and left. <laughs> and I... You have to believe these stories because why would they lie? I mean, they have no reason to lie. So it was it was crazy, no doubt about it, yeah. Sometimes the customers wouldn't even make it inside the office. They'd ask Bob to come out and check them in so they could avoid the lobby with its floor-to-ceiling shelves of clowns. Alas, even if they skipped the lobby, Bob had decorated the rooms to fit the theme. Each room had a microwave, a floral bedspread, a shag carpet, and a big clown portrait. Yeah, they come in, say, we want to stand here, but he says, I can't have those clown pictures there on the walls. So I would, I would take and put a, towel, a, a, bath, a bath towel over the, over the pictures. And then they were perfectly happy as long as the, the pictures were, the pictures were covered. It's my guess that if you were born in the 1980s or after, and you think of clowns, you pretty much definitely think that they're evil. You would want that portrait covered. But why? Why do you think clowns are evil? When I told people I was doing a book on clowns, uh, it's weird. Like about, I'm going to say probably two-thirds of them immediately sort of shudder and back away and say, I hate clowns. Ben Ratford wrote a book called Bad Clowns, and it's a history of, well, of evil clowns. I'm always happy to talk scary clowns, man. This is, this is, this is my groove. This is fun. Traditions of clowning go way back. Mimes, jesters, there have been clowns since, well, since there have been people. There's always been this, these trickster figures, these jester figures. They're allowed to be boisterous or rude or obnoxious. Uh, where uh, the, the the court jesters would, would have the license to uh, make fun of the king, which no one else does because that'll get you killed.
There were clowns in ancient Greece that dressed in animal skins and were sort of like street performers. They would throw nuts or stones at passerbys. And in the late 1700s, there was a guy named Joseph Grimaldi. He created the makeup and the humor style that we associate with modern clowns. White grease paint on the face, and he was beloved and incredibly famous. But he also had this really tragic personal life. He had this tortured relationship with both his father and his own son. And as he grew older, Grimaldi's body began to deteriorate from all his clowning. And he drank too much, and he descended into poverty. Charles Dickens actually edited Grimaldi's memoirs and created the image of the tragic clown. You had this figure that was uh, that was literally putting on a face or putting on a performance and going out there and putting on a show and uh, you know acting silly and doing pratfalls and this and that. Uh, but as soon as the as soon as the curtain closed and the audience is left, they're left with. Uh, you know, they wipe off the makeup and they're back to their, you know, injured, um, uh, in some cases, alcoholic self. And so that that was the, the really sort of fascinating duality of the character. This tragic clown character would be what we associated with clowns for many years to come. Like in the 1930s, in the wake of the Great Depression, you have this whole wave of sort of hobo clowns wearing a boiler hat and tattered clothes and frowning. You've probably seen paintings of these. But then... In the 1950s and 60s, clowns started to get kind of cleaned up. No more drunk, sad buffoons. These clowns were all red noses and oversized shoes and big smiles. There's two main reasons why the, the so-called good clown emerged in America. And they are Ronald McDonald and Bozo the Clown. And so you had a generation of Americans who grew up with the smiling, laughing, positive, happy clown either trying to sell them, sell them hamburgers or coming into their, their, their afternoon shows. And then came that quintessential moment when clowns turned scary. Back in the 70s, John Wayne Gacy killed 33 people. Gacy was known around town for hosting little gatherings, and sometimes he dressed up as Pogo the Clown. In prison, he even painted self-portraits of himself as Pogo. He became known as the killer clown. From here on out, well, it's basically nothing but evil clowns. You have Stephen King's It. You have the killer clowns from outer space. Where clowns become scary is out of context. In other words, a clown not at a circus or a birthday party. So, for example, a clown that is walking around a park alone at night. That's creepy, right? The clown that's knocking on your door at midnight. The clown that is is outside the normal context in which we expect to see them. That becomes threatening because we don't know why are they there? What are they up to? Who are they performing for? And clowns in the middle of the desert next to an abandoned miner's cemetery? Yeah, that's definitely pretty much outside a normal context. And yet the clown motel is beloved. It is a Tonopah institution. It is a point of pride. Bob Perchetti remembers a student who entered an essay contest, and she wrote about the Clown Motel. And she won the contest. To celebrate, she wanted to stay at the motel. Her parents came with her. Her grandparents came with her. They were all there. And uh, that was her wish. I want to stay at the Clown Motel. And she could have she stayed in any high-rise in, in Las Vegas, but she turned them all down. She wanted the Clown Motel only. 
And the motel became a refuge for clown lovers all over. Bob said he would get letters from people who were getting too old to take care of their own clown collections. They couldn't keep them dusted anymore. And they'd mail Bob their entire collection. I had people that would call me crying and said, I love my, I love my clown collection, but I, I, can't, I can't take care of them anymore. And I can't think of any place I'd rather see them than in the clown motel. After more than two decades of running the Clown Motel, Bob was ready to retire, to spend more time with his grandkids. So he decided to sell the motel with one major stipulation. You got to keep the clowns. The new owners very much did keep the clowns and then some. They made theme rooms, officially changing the name to the world-famous Clown Motel. They added hundreds of clowns to the collection and lined them up in the old office, alongside the clowns that Bob had collected and Clarence David's original 150 statuettes. But Bob did take a couple of clowns home with him. He has them up on a shelf, and he takes good care of them. If you find yourself in Tonopah, Nevada, You can stay at the Clown Motel. You can book a room online or email the motel. These days, it's a little more pricey. Rooms cost just about $100 a night. This episode was produced by Johanna Mayer. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. If you're looking for a trip full of the extraordinary and unexpected, then you need to get off the beaten path and head to Missouri. The City Museum in St. Louis has got to be one of the coolest places that I have ever been. But it's just one of many wonders found in Missouri. You can play a chess game at the World Chess Hall of Fame, also home to the world's largest chess piece. You can tour a reimagined ghost town brought back to life as outdoor art at Red Oak 2 in Carthage. Or go on a crazy underwater adventure at Bon Terre Mine, one of the world's largest man-made caverns and freshwater scuba diving resorts. Or throw back craft beers 50 feet underground at O'Malley's Pub in Weston. Missouri is a place full of surprise and delight. Don't miss out on Missouri, because whether it is weird, wondrous, or the world's largest, there is an M.O. for every traveler in Missouri. Find yours at visitmo.com.